Hi, everyone. Chat Cemetery is back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and today I am joined by Tommy Tracy, and we are discussing the novel Mr. Mercedes. This is one that I'm very excited to discuss. But before we dive in, Tommy, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yes. So as you mentioned, my name is Tommy Tracy. I am also a fellow podcaster. I have a movie review podcast called Phenomenal Flicks. Been on a little bit of a hiatus with that, but it will be coming back shortly. And then my partner and I, Olivia, also do a wrestling review podcast called That's Gotta Be Wrestling, which you can listen to every Monday at 5 p.m. where we review classic wrestling pay-per-views. And I'm also just a massive nerd in general. I love horror movies, horror books, of course, hence the Stephen King stuff, (laughs) uh, and just movies in general as well. Yeah. And what's interesting about Mr. Mercedes is it kicks off a trilogy of novels known as the Bill Hodges trilogy. And I wasn't 100% sure if this was going to be kind of like his hard case crime novels that he had done before this, which were The Colorado Kid and Joyland. He's since done another one, of course, but those didn't feel as detective focused as this is. So I thought this was definitely something that was more unique than some of the other stuff he's done. Oh yeah, I'd I'd absolutely agree. Um, I am kind of working my way through Stephen King stuff as well. I'm familiar with a lot of it, but not familiar with others. Uh, Unfortunately, not nearly as quickly as you're able to do it, but (laughs) Colorado Kid is one that I absolutely love. Um, I still need to read Joyland, but I really do like his detective uh, aspects that he's been putting in, especially with this trilogy. And then he had one with The Outsider that came out four-ish years ago, give or take. Yeah, I've lost all sense of time doing this podcast, to be honest. And this was a first read for me. I had read some of the books before starting this. I didn't go into this podcast entirely blind. But, you know, I've read some of the more recent stuff as they came out if, you know, publishers sent me review copies or something, because I somehow made that happen. Not really sure how. But, you know, I've read a few of the newer things here and there. But Mr. Mercedes was one that I was kind of just holding off on because I knew there were the three trilogy books, and then The Outsider ties into it a little as well. And I haven't even watched the show either. That one I held off on because also it was on like AT&T's audience network or some channel I didn't have. So I was like, I'll just wait on that. Luckily, you can stream it all on Peacock now once you get through it. So yeah, I I did end up buying like Blu-ray and DVD copies of the first two seasons, I think. But, you know, we're talking about the book here. And this was a first read for me. Was this a first read for you or a second read? Uh, actually, a third read. Third read. Ooh. Yeah, so I, I bought it the day, or roughly around the time it came out. I saw the the book just sitting there and the, the cover was just so striking, like the blue umbrella <laughs> with the blood coming down. The name Mr. Mercedes just sounds really intriguing. And I like Stephen King, so I'm like, I have to read this. This just looks interesting. And I mean, the first, the prologue, essentially, I just could not put it down. I think I bl- blazed through it in a day and a half, maybe two days. And then I read it a second time before the third book came out. Um, and then, of course, third time before this. So I was really excited to get back into it because there was a lot that I forgot about. Yeah. And the thing with some of these books, too, is, 
you'll look at them and, you know, I have like a mass market paperback copy and I think it's like 500 pages, but this does not read like a 500 page book by any means because the way the story is paced, it just makes it go by so fast. And I have obviously read numerous King books and not all of them have that kind of pacing to them, I must say. Yeah, this one, it's just, I think it's one of his better paced books. And that's saying something, especially for a man who's been writing for 50 years now, give or take. Yeah, so many years. <laughs> that is yeah. so many. Been around for a minute. It's crazy to think, you know, I look at the books I have, I was like, I probably have 10% of the stuff he's written. And that's, that still seems like a lot. To be fair, I don't even have all of the books yet. I still have like one or two that are missing. And, you know, they're obviously books that I haven't got into yet. So it's not as pressing for me to get those right now. But to dive into the characters and the story, obviously, we have Bill Hodges as our retired detective. You have Brady Hartsfield, who is revealed to be Mr. Mercedes. And you have these supporting characters like Jerome Robinson, we are introduced to Holly Gibney and even just the family, you know, like Holly's mom, who is very overbearing and makes Holly seem much younger than we find out she actually is. Just because you're like, oh, she must be in like her early 20s or something. And her mom is still like super protective of her. And you're like, oh, okay, did not see that coming. But I really like how the whole thing plays out. You have Olivia and Janie and the whole family dynamic, I think, with this family too, is what makes the crime even more interesting from a story perspective. Yeah, I'd I'd absolutely agree. I mean, you're kind of with Bill Hodges the whole way through trying to figure it out. And even though King gives you the answer pretty much right away. Um, you still try and figure out how he did all these things that he did, i.e. the beginning where he steals Olivia Trelawney's car, I believe that's her name, yeah, and kills all these people, runs them over, gets away with it because, A, there's no uh, photographic evidence of him. He's able to bleach the uh, masks that he was wearing and everything around him. And so you're trying to piece together with Bill exactly how he did all of these things at the beginning and then later on how he's going to piece together how to stop him from blowing up a bunch of tween girls at a boy band concert. Yeah, just the arc that he takes throughout this, not only Bill, but also Brady. It was really well done and I wasn't sure what to expect going into this because I was like, okay, the Colorado kid was very different because there was a crime But the story wasn't necessarily all about the crime in that one. And then with Joyland, it wasn't a crime told from the perspective of the cops being involved, really. So this just took on a different life, kind of, as far as King's crime novels go. And it makes me really happy that this late into his career, he's still trying new things. Yeah, he's not not rehashing the same old things he did in the 70s and 80s. And a lot of people don't like the, this book or the uh, the trilogy in general, but, you know, it's it's a new take on something he's, he's kind of done before, but also never really with his usual mannerisms. Uh, and I think not just this book alone, but the trilogy itself is just very good, very intriguing. Um, this one being my personal favorite, so it is kind of strangely downhill from here. But 
I mean, yeah, it's just, it's, I, I read this and thinking I've read enough of his stuff to know what I'm getting. And it's, it's very different. I mean, it's, it's really the only way to say it is how different it is while also being a Stephen King book, if that makes sense, which I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you know what you're getting <laughs> with Stephen King. Yeah. And, you know, I have numerous crime authors on my bookshelves, like George Pelicanos, James Elroy, who, you know, does some true crime stuff as well. But it's a genre that I'm really interested in and to have, you know, the king of horror dive into crime in this sort of way, because there are a lot of horrific things that happen, especially within crime genres and everything like that. But the way he is able to right characters is what makes this book work for me. You don't always need that horror element to it because one of my favorite collections of his is Different Seasons. And a lot of those stories are just stories about people and what has happened in their lives. And it's not something that needs to have the added element of like the Overlook Hotel or Pennywise or kids with powers or anything like that. And even though he's trying something new, you can tell he recycles some ideas, but kind of takes them in a new direction. And I think that's fine because he's still kind of playing around with a lot of his core ideas for horror. And with Mr. Mercedes, you can tell that he wants you to be focused on the characters in a way to where you don't need supernatural horror elements. Yeah, I mentioned earlier that the prologue essentially, I mean, it just gets you right away. And it is easily one of the most horrific things I think I've ever read, which is saying something from this author. But he sucks you in with the characters first. And there's these, and you know, they're basically at a, a job fair for all these people. Augie um, is the first character you meet, and he gets murdered within the first, you know, 10, 15 pages. Right. You really connect with them. You you want this man to succeed. You want the woman that he meets to succeed. She has a baby with her. You know, Stephen King can't stop himself from killing a baby, unfortunately. But, you know, you connect with these people like, oh, everything will be okay. And then you realize, right, this is the kind of book I'm in. Things quickly become not okay as a man runs a gigantic Mercedes through a crowd of people, running them over, killing them, crushing skulls and whatnot. Um, and you... I mean, I felt upset that Augie and this woman and this baby died amongst other people. And I'm sure other people read that the same way as I did. This story also really dives into mental health because you have the mindset of Brady. You have at the beginning all of these people who are standing in line for a job fair. And while you don't think any of them are mentally unstable. They are going through something that is very tough emotionally, mentally, physically, even for some of them, I imagine, being out of work. And you have Bill, who is at the beginning when we meet him contemplating suicide. You know, he's sitting in his living room playing around with a gun, which it's hard to call it playing around because he's a retired detective and definitely knows what he's doing. But then you also have Holly, who comes in later, and she has gone through all of these different things, especially dealing with her mother. And it just really feels like he wanted to touch on that subject a lot in this novel. And I don't know if you could have done that without it being this kind of novel, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I would think so as well. I mean, I'm not a police officer, but I feel, I, I know someone who was someone I uh, grew up around and he just basically said, well, I don't know what to do with my day. Like he would go around town just, you know, trying to um, basically like a kid detective thing, but as a 65 year old man, which I thought was kind of cute. Cause he just had, he had nothing to do. And that was his sort of way of like getting out of the house and still being the detective that he was in his youth. And I think it's just an amazing, you know, uh, an amazing thing to connect that to how retired police officers probably are. Cause they have nothing going on They're They're used to the action. And when they don't have that thing, they, 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 they need it. They crave it. They, they are so used to it that they, they absolutely need it. And then you mentioned Holly who, um, has all these nervous tics. Um, it's been said she's probably on the spectrum. She becomes easily the most like badass character in the, in the book. I mean, she's kind of laughed upon by everybody at the beginning. And then she's literally the hero at the end. Uh, everyone else, as you mentioned as well, like Olivia Trelawney, she has this guilt from her car being stolen and murdering all these people. So it ends in suicide for her. And then Janie, the woman that we meet, that's the sister of Olivia. She's got all these, you know, problems with her family and with how people treated her sister and whatnot. Um, and that takes a mental toll on people. So it's just everything is a mental toll on someone, unfortunately, or fortunately, I mean, I guess to, you know, talk about these real important issues. Honestly, Jerome seems like one of the most grounded characters in this because he's really just kind of stoked to be there. And I like that he put that kind of character in too, because I really liked Jerome. He was one of my favorite characters in this. Not to say I didn't like the other characters, but just his enthusiasm for things and how he isn't really like the rest of the characters, not only because of his race and the fact that he is black, but just the way he talks with people, the way he takes care of his younger sister when he has to. And King really did a nice job of rounding out his character instead of just making him the kid who helps Bill. Yeah, I'd agree with that. He's a pretty much an honorable student at the school. He comes from a very like well-off family and it's it's nice to see that juxtaposition with earlier King novels as well, where the African-American gentleman would kind of be like a thug or speak in slang, which Jerome does do, but sort of more as a, a joke, like an interplay he has with Bill. Or has powers. Yeah, or has powers, exactly. Uh, and I, I really like that Bill, while he is the seasoned detective, really gets overshadowed um, when things go down the line by Jerome's excellent, like, electronic skills isn't the right word, but like... He's computer savvy. Yeah, he's computer savvy. And then as is Holly, and she's also the smartest person in the room, like her and Jerome have this like interplay with each other later down the line, which I just think is hilarious. There's a part where Jerome says something that's not really funny and she just giggles like a maniac, like slaps him on the shoulder, like, oh, you. And it's it's these really nice character moments when, you know, we're about to witness some more death, essentially. This case is an opportunity for Bill to really turn his life around, too. And you feel that as he starts digging into it, and then he starts dating Janie. And you can really feel that he's happy for the first time in 
quite some time. And to have that feeling just come off of the pages the way that it does, I thought that was really well done too. But because this is a Stephen King novel, it can't last forever. But I think Bill's experience with this case and with Janie, it was really a turning point in his life. And I obviously haven't read Finders Keepers and End of Watch to know how his story continues. But within the context of this story, at least, it really felt like his life was going in a much better direction, even after we have that huge moment where Janie dies in the car explosion. Yeah, um, she she comes in um, basically to settle her sister's affairs. Uh, and I really like the autonomy that she has because a lot of older King stuff, you know, the women were kind of objects and he talked, his really famous thing about women's bodies was calling breasts jahoobs, which, okay. Um, but she kind of takes control in this scenario. She's like, oh, I'm really, you know, happy you're doing this for my sister. Um, and you're, you know, you're trying to find the person who is essentially responsible for a couple hundred deaths and hers. And she, uh, she, <laughs> there's a, there's a scene, I guess is the right part to call it where she basically has sex with this man. He's like 20 years, her senior. And she says, no, shut up. This is for me. Um, you're just going to sit there and do as I say, which is not something you see a lot or read a lot. And she even says like, I'm using you for sex. I just, I need to have sex right now. And you're the person here. Uh, and oddly enough, in kind of a sweet and beautiful way, it starts a relationship between the two that unfortunately doesn't last long because Brady, you know, blows her up, but it's this kind of really sweet moment between two people that are sort of at a loss for what to do next in their lives. You also have the fact that Brady did that unintentionally. He had every intention of killing Bill, not Janie, but he didn't know they were going to switch cars at the last minute for a reason that I can't really remember. But it was one of those things that, you know, you don't really think about. Sometimes you just switch cars with whoever you're with and you really get a sense of this story possibly going one of two ways. Either they catch Brady or Bill ends up going into another downward spiral. And you couldn't really tell right away what was going to happen, especially for Holly, too, because she witnessed it. Yeah, I mean, I I assumed, um, you know, Brady is kind of leading on Bill. Um, he's saying, like, I'm the person who killed all these people at the, the Civic Center. Um, you will never catch me. And Bill's like really close to catching him. So he's like, all right, I got to take care of this guy essentially. And I remember the first time I'm reading it, I'm like, there's about 250 pages left. Is Bill about to die right now? Uh, and then they switch cars and my brain didn't even click right away. I'm like, Oh, Bill's still somehow going to die. And then Janie blows up and say, of course. Okay. That's fucked up if you will. But, uh, <laughs> to say the least, <laughs> uh, it gives him an extra motivation to be like, now I really need to catch this guy because it was personal beforehand. It was business and personal, but now it's just strictly personal. And it kind of lights a fire under Bill's ass, if you will, instead of, you know, moping around and not knowing what to do. He's like, we're, we're catching this guy, whether, and I'll die catching him, which he almost does do at the end of this book. This is also a big turning point for Holly as a character because she's been fairly quiet and reserved because of her mother being so bossy and 
I don't even know how to describe her mom, to be honest with you. It's just kind of wild how she is so overbearing. And when you see that switch with Holly, you can tell she's getting not totally comfortable, but she's opening up a little more. And you have that moment after this where her and Jerome are, you know, going through a computer and trying to figure things out. I believe it was Olivia's computer. And they are surprised at the same moment. And she grabs Jerome's hand, if I'm not mistaken, or he grabs her hand. I forget which way it happens, but just out of instinct. And I think even though there's like, obviously a huge age difference there. It didn't feel like a romantic sort of thing. It felt like these two people are going through something together and kind of bonding over it. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I really like the the interplay between them because she is socially awkward uh, at times and he's, you know, pretty well established with, you know, social cues and whatnot. She has no social cues. He does have social cues essentially. Uh, and I think in a, in a strange way, this, uh, relationship she has with Jerome and Bill kind of opened her up to being able to speak about her thoughts, her feelings, um, what she knows about the case, what she's going to discover. Uh, and those social cues still kind of hold back a little bit, which make the interplay between them, uh, just very sincere and very funny, most, mostly sincere. However, I would say. Yeah. And you can tell that she's actually wanting to go do things now, whereas before it seemed like she was fairly content to just stay where she was told to stay. And, you know, she was staying at Olivia's house and you see her take the Mercedes out, which has been, you know, repainted and everything. So it's not immediately noticeable that it's the same vehicle, but that's something that Bill picks up on. And he's like, oh, she's getting a little more bold here. And, you know, she makes a comment along the lines of, well, it's not like Olivia's going to miss it kind of thing. And she's right. But at the same time, it's kind of like a bit of a brutal thing to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's a dark joke. And I think that's, a, I mean, it's a way I cope with, yeah. with death. I always have like a little snide remark um because it helps me personally and i think it's the same way with her she's like you know this is hor horrible horrifying what happened to my cousin right i think olivia's her yeah. cousin yeah so you know she's you know she's not going to miss it which is 100 percent true she she won't miss the car if any anything it should go to holly um but yeah it's, it's just a really really funny and smart smart moment that king wrote in there and because both Bill and Jerome are kind of surprised that she drove the car, she's like, what? I can drive. I just don't do it often. Yeah, which is, I, I know a couple people like that. They're like, I choose not to drive, but I can do it. Again, it's this a sort of thing you don't think about until it's put there right in front of you. Yeah. And honestly, as someone who hasn't done a whole lot of driving for the last year or so, <laughs> it's like, you know, I kind of feel that. Yeah, I definitely get that as well. I didn't drive for about a year or so. And I had a knee injury. And when I started driving again, I, was like, I think I know how to do this and <laughs> did it very slowly, but I, I knew what I was doing. But you probably didn't miss it much at the same time. No, not, not really. I, I'm not the biggest fan of driving. It's uncomfortable and it takes a lot of focus. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's just hard to come by, but I found that this book was one that was actually easy to focus on because of, again, the pacing that we were talking about earlier. Sometimes I'll be reading King books, and I'll find myself 
getting lost or like having to reread pages because for whatever reason, whether it's because of how fast I have to read them or I'm just not into the story, some of them are very hard to focus on. And with this, I was just like, I kind of want to sit here and read it all in one day. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, I love the stand, but the stand is just, you, ha- you have to take that pretty much page by page. Yeah. Where this one was just, it's, you just blow through it and it's, and it's fantastic. And I could focus on everything. And he doesn't do his normal, let me take 12 pages to explain this one character. Um, he does it in like two, which is short for him. So it, it was easier to, you know, not go into every detail about someone's life uh, starting from birth to where they are now, which is something he, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but he normally does something like that. And here he's just like, here's a quick blurb about them. We'll get to more later, but here's this little thing, which helped me um, really get into the characters where they, whether they be the main characters or even the side characters, such as uh, I believe her name was Freddie, the one who works at the electronic store with Brady. Um, even, you know, Jerome's little sister or Janie and Olivia's mother, those sort of people, I was able to say, Hey, yeah, I can, I can get what these people are about without having to read an entire short story about them. Yeah. And he was more inclined to give things to you in pieces. We don't learn about Brady all at once. We get the opening moment where he drives into the people and then throughout his conversations with Bill over the forum or whatever it was exactly, you get more of that. And then you have his interactions with his mom. And that gives you more background for him. And, you know, same with Jerome, we kind of know that he's the kid who comes over and like, mows the lawn and does other odds and ends for Bill. And then we see him taking care of his sister. And then you have that conversation later with his parents when Bill wants his help, but he knows it's going to be a little more dangerous. So he's like, you know, kind of make sure this is okay with your parents sort of thing. And same with Holly. We get the interactions with her family. We get her interactions with Jerome and Bill. And it's just given to you in pieces in a way that really builds up these character arcs to fit well with the story arcs too. Yeah. Um, I think Brady is the most fascinating character but not really in a positive way right Uh, aside from him being a you know murderer he is a racist because you know he calls uh jerome the n-word numerous times uh he is a sociopath he uh has he's pretty egotistical as well thinking he'll you know never get caught and he's also got mental problems um mostly due to as a young boy, he killed his brother, Freddie. And then the explicitness of the things she does with his mother, which is basically he's molested by his mom and still has sex with her in his twenties. Uh, is just, you know, it, it makes for a fascinating character and whether that's good or bad, it's, 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 uh, it's just someone I, I enjoy reading about, but not in the fun way, if that makes sense. It's like how people really love true crime because yes. they're fascinated by the story and people have long been fascinated by serial killers because they're just so different from the rest of us. And I think King really shows that here. And, you know, I actually just watched A Good Marriage the other day and 
that is something where he kind of based that story off of BTK. So he's been known to pull in a bunch of these things. But with Brady, it's just compounded so much that he's gone through so much trauma. You're not really surprised at all that he ended up being who he is. Yeah. I mean, you feel bad for him in a way. You quickly get over that, of course, because you remember who he is. But as you're reading it, you're like, God, this no wonder you're like this. This is terrible. And I mean, I don't support you, but I, I mean, I understand that you have so much trauma that you just don't know the difference between right and wrong. He, you know, anytime he gets a headache, his mom gives him a hand job essentially, which is just, I mean, Hey, I guess it works for him. Um, he wants to poison Jerome's dog, which immediately returned me against anybody, you yep, know, don't, yeah. don't put the dog. But, um, ironically in a weird way, he, he puts it into ground beef cause he's thinking like, Oh, a dog will eat ground beef. And then his mother eats it. And in another horrifying scene, you basically get like, you can create in your mind the visual and the sounds of her dying. Cause there's all this retching, all this mucus. I mean, you can hear her screaming from the other room. He just leaves her too. He's, he can't handle it. Um, so he just leaves her to die by herself and it's, you know, horrifying. And that's more trauma added to him. That pisses him off more where he's like, I need to commit another grand act. That's going to be even bigger than my last one. Yeah. And I mean, it's hard to feel bad for his mother at the same time too, because she was not as horrible, but still horrible. And I found it interesting that when it came to his mom, he couldn't think straight, but then he has like this whole grand plan whenever he's going after anyone else. And we're talking about a lot of things that we really liked about this book. And I think the one thing that stood out to me that they maybe dragged on a little too long was how he stole the car. Yeah. Um, he had like, he had these devices called thing one and thing two. And one of them like changes traffic lights. Yeah. Which is like, where do I get a hold of that? Cause that would be fantastic. But it was like, Oh, he used a key fob or something like that. Or he just stole the key. And it was like this whole weird drawn out thing. And I was like, who really cares how he stole the car? He stole the car. That's the more important piece of information. <laughs> And then ironically, he left the car unlocked with the key in it. So he didn't even need the thing, which I guess is st- like in a weird way, comedy in a, in a way like, oh, I didn't I didn't even need this thing I invented. This was easy. Yeah, because <laughs> then it was like people were saying, oh, Olivia would have never done that. She would have never just left the key in the car, even though, you know, she maybe wasn't thinking super clearly at the time. And it was just one of those things where I was like, am I missing something here? Or are they just being very weird about going on about how he stole the car? Maybe that was, he didn't do so much character study for 10 pages. So he was like, let me tell you how he stole the car for 10 pages. And that was his way of making up for it. Possibly. But that's the only thing that really stood out to me. And I was like, okay, can we move on? Right. One of the worst things I think Brady did, uh, he, he sends this letter to Bill, which is kind of like fucking with him, if you will. Like, you'll never find me. You have, you know, there's just no possible way. And uh, after Olivia's death, he, you know, Bill realizes that there's a letter that he also sent to her. And being a person who worked at an electronics store, 
you know, she called for help about her computer. He inserted all these files onto her computer that were essentially um, recordings of, in a way, the ghosts of who she had killed. If you think about it that way, like her car had killed and he would play them in the middle of the night. So she was haunted by a baby crying or a woman screaming like you killed my baby and all these people getting hit by cars and stuff like that. And that led her to her suicide. And of all the stuff he does, that one to me really, you know, jumped out as like, God, you are a horrible human being. Like, not only did you do this and ruined all these lives, but you're going to further ruin this woman's life because you think it's funny. You think it's a joke. And it's just, I, I haven't watched the show yet either, but I kind of want to see how that plays out um, visually because reading it is just, it's scary. It's, it's not fun to read. It is very tough at times to get through some of these sections and you're just like, oh, geez, okay. Because like we said, there's no real supernatural horror elements to it. So instead, King really went all in on these things that do happen, but usually they don't all happen to the same person. He kind of like took bits and pieces of terrible stories you would hear either on the news or from serial killers and things like that. And he kind of mashed them all together in a way that just emphasized how much these characters were going through, especially, you know, the state of mind of Brady. And one other thing we haven't mentioned yet is Bill's old partner, Pete, I believe his name is. And Pete kind of talks to Bill throughout this and he can tell that something is wrong, but Bill is not budging on telling him at all. And even though Bill is a retired detective, you still kind of have to bring in that element of the quote-unquote real cops coming in at some point. So I like the way that he used Bill's ties to do that. And it wasn't just, you know, some random person that Bill didn't like or something like that. Yeah, it was, uh, I liked the little inner uh, the intercuts with him and Pete where they're at the diner and whatnot and talking about like famous, the, the cases that they had that they hadn't solved, which is of course his way of getting to the the Mercedes case. Um, and Pete kind of, you know, comes in every now and then to be like, he knows he's up to something, but he doesn't quite know what it is. And I wasn't aware until reading this book. So it does make perfect sense afterwards that, you know, it's illegal for a retired cop to work on a case or to do kind of vigilante or detective work unless they get the proper channels to do so. So I I thought that was very interesting. It actually taught me something like, hey, yeah, this man should probably also go to jail, even though he's a hero in a way. Yeah, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. It's like, you know, there was a lot of stuff that happened in this novel that was very questionable from multiple parties. And you're just like, yeah, okay, we're going to let it slide for some of these characters because we know they're trying to do the right thing, at least. Right. Like, I think Holly and and Jerome get like, not keys to the city, but free use of the city uh, expenses for like 10 years or something like that after after the or when the book ends essentially which at the same time it's like you guys did a lot of wrong but does the good outweigh the bad so it's an interesting take on that as well i would personally say yes but i'm not you know a lawmaker thank god so is there anything else you want to dive into here i know we've kind of jumped around quite a bit but i think for the listeners you can kind of tell a little bit of what our thought process has been like 
this entire time, but I really do think the character work is what stood out. And, you know, there were a few details he maybe dragged out a little too long. And I kind of feel this way about a lot of King books, even the ones I really enjoy, but usually they can be a little shorter. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I think the ending is going to be interesting to talk about quickly just because, um, you know, Brady's next big plan is to blow up uh, the um, arena where Round Here is the name of the band, which uh, there is a segment in the book where Stephen King writes like boy band lyrics. And I just love the thought of a 60 plus year old man writing lyrics for like 12 year old. (laughs) But um, he essentially goes in in a wheelchair. He's pretending to be like a, um, you know, physically handicapped person, um, but he's got a bomb under there and it's, it's intercut with Bill Holly and Jerome figuring out his plan, um, finding out where he's seated at this whole arena. Um, and then Jerome's little sister and mom is there as well. So, you know, it's like a, it's a mad rush. I mean, the last like 40 pages, you cannot put it down. It's a mad rush to get there to save everybody. And Bill has a heart attack while Jerome and Holly get into the, the arena to stop them. And, you know, music's playing, you can't really, you know, tell someone like, Hey, there's a bomb in there because if Brady sees people coming up to him, he's just going to, you know, blow everybody up. It's easy way to do that. So Holly gets in there and my favorite part is like the, the, the way that it's told how she's like leaping towards him. And she's got this thing called the happy slapper, which is a sock filled with quarters that Bill gave her. Yeah. He, he looks up and she just runs at him and like Thor punches this dude's head. Oh, it's ball bearings, even worse than quarters. Ball bearings, that's right. Yeah. And just like, you know, dents his head and then does it again for the hell of it. And it's just, it's really nerve wracking. Cause you're like, is he going to succeed here? Um, is he going to blow all these people up? And she just fucking crushes his skull in, which is both hilarious and disgusting at the same time. And it terrifies people around because they have no idea. They think she's attacking a person in a wheelchair. And then she calmly just goes, he's got a bomb, which is so Holly to do. Um, She gets even funnier and more like talks like that in the later books as well. Um, But just a really, you know, intense final couple pages. And then Brady also like, flips off Jerome's mom and sister, which I think is also just kind of funny. Like, hey, there's that nice man in the wheelchair we saw earlier and he's giving them the middle finger. And then it ends with, you know, them getting the keys to the city in a certain way. And then Brady, the last sentence I think is a nurse because Brady is still alive. He's in a, you know, a home for people to rehabilitate. And the nurse says he has a headache and he's asking for his mother, which I didn't catch until this reading that that is actually not you know, him not knowing that his mom's dead, it's a kind of gross thing because his mom gives him a hand job to get rid of headaches. And so that took me three readings to get that. King is very good at just sliding things into his novels that you might not catch on first read. And that's why I'm kind of excited to, at some point, not anytime soon, go back and revisit a few of these because as I'm sure you and the listeners can imagine, reading through these very quickly, it kind of makes you lose some of the details. Like someone will ask me a question about something and I'm like, I'm just going to need to look it up because my brain cannot retain all of the connections to other things and the callbacks and things like that. I try, but sometimes I'm just like, I honestly have no idea. But with this one, you don't really have like a ton of ties to other novels either. It's not like The Dark Tower or something where you have 
eight to ten other King books that tie into it without being named the Dark Tower. <laughs> but with this, too, at the end, you have the sort of post-events that happen. And usually I'm not a huge fan of when King does like epilogues and things like that. He's done some that work, but sometimes I'm just like, you didn't really need this. But in this case, you know, just seeing Hodges, Holly, and Jerome go and have a picnic and kind of get the medals, even though they did some very questionable things, you're like, okay, the good guys won. Yeah, it's a, it's a very sweet ending. And then you get that little stinger at the end, which is not so sweet. It's insanely gross. But I, I also just kind of love it because, of course, that's kind of what Brady would say. It's um, And, I'm, I'm you know, not to spoil later books, he does come back as a character in the third one. Um, but he, you know, it's... Uh, it's an interesting trilogy, especially with, with Brady involved. Finders Keeper is kind of the outlier in the three, but yeah, it's, uh, he's just, of course he asked for his mother. That's all I can say, I guess. <laughs> and it kind of makes you wonder if like anyone's going to tell him at some point. Right. Um, yeah. I mean like, oh, hey, you accidentally killed your mom essentially, which uh, I mean, I guess in, in theory, you would go to jail for manslaughter for that, right? But again, I'm not a lawmaker, so I'm not 100% sure how these things work. Just the fact that he wakes up at the end, too, you kind of know King is leaving that open for his return. Yeah, I didn't know this was going to be a trilogy when I first read it. And then as the books continued to come out, I was like, I'm so happy to revisit these characters because of you know, how much I really enjoyed them. And I can't say that about a lot of other books. Like if I read The Long Walk, I don't want to read something else with the characters in that or Rage or something like that. So yeah, yeah, I was very happy that this turned into a trilogy. And then Holly appears in later works. I won't spoil too much of that, but she is in um, a couple other of his works that he's released recently as well. Right. And I think having characters come back is always kind of a nice little thing. And obviously this was the first time I had read the book. So I knew nothing was going to happen to Bill because the other two books had already come out. Right. Yeah, he does have a heart attack and you think he, uh, you know, might die at the end. Like I, I did, but yeah, now, now if you read it, you're like, well, he's fine for now. <laughs> that is kind of a downside of like not reading these when they come out, but hopefully this year is the year that I get caught up before his next novel comes out. So then I can sort of have that, anticipation going into them like i don't know what's going to happen because there aren't other books after this it's funny to think that this came out in 2012 2013 around there and he still had so much works between that time whether it be just his books short stories or even the movies he's helped produce and that have came out so it's you know it's like it's only been eight years and then it's well he's got like 50 things somehow yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, the collections make more sense because you can take older works and just kind of put them together. But yeah. as far as, you know, just having actual like novels in between some of the trilogy books, you're like, this man writes so much because I'm reading Revival right now and then I'll get into Finders Keepers. And then I think there's a collection between that and End of Watch. So I do get like a little break from these characters between the books. And, you know, I did watch The Outsider Show, so I'm a little familiar with that story. I know things change in adaptations, of course. And I do know the, the other Holly appearance you are mentioning because I read that collection as well. But Tommy, is there anything else you want to bring up real quick here? 
No, I mean, I just, if we've spoiled enough of the book, um, even the ending, but I would say still go out and read it. If you haven't, it's, it's really interesting. It's morbid. It's, it's fun in that Stephen King kind of way. Um, just read it. And if you can read the other two books as well, I mean, read them all. Cause they, it's a nice little bow tie on them. Um, and you get some great character work with, everybody as we already talked about. And there's still a lot we didn't touch on as far as like some of the details go with Brady and Bill and all of the other characters. And it really is amazing just how much thought King puts into a lot of characters. And obviously other authors do that too. Otherwise they wouldn't be as successful as they are. But I've really enjoyed this journey of seeing how his character work can remain so detailed, but he can have dramatically different stories that he's telling with different characters. It's amazing. He's been able to write thousands of characters in 50 years and most of them are different. I mean, some would be, you know, have the same archetypes, but I mean, I all, most of the characters are different people 50 years later and that's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, Tommy, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Mr. Mercedes. There will be links to your podcasts and things in the show notes. So everyone go check those out. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. All right. That does it for this episode of Chat Cemetery. You can support the podcast on Patreon for a dollar a month. You'll get a thank you on the show for $2 a month. I will send you a Chat Cemetery sticker. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can do so at Chat Cemetery on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You could also rate and review the show. That's a huge help. And as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>